I called it that to grab attention. It really does. Thank you. <laughs> Not your attention per se, although that's also a bonus, because once you're here, like, you, know, you may as well... Enjoy. Although, I don't know, this is a school. I should know that even if you're sitting in a class, you might not pay attention in a school. <laughs> Things you should know by now. Um, okay, yeah, the, the Book of Ashti. So I'd have called the Book of Ashti. So, Baruch Hashem, like since, see, I was working off of this one that I downloaded from HebrewBooks.org, which is like fantastic. But now I got my Rav Hartman one, and I'm so excited. Maharal commentary to Megillus Esther with like, bazillions of footnotes first of all it has the psukim and it has the footnotes that are like it's other things also but it's also a lot of cross-referencing to other places in the writings of the maharal that flesh it out so it's just very exciting in the second psicha in the second hakadama there's two hakadamas two introductions to the maharal um his to his commentary he wrote these introductions commentaries in the megillah and in the second one there's this section that we're going to learn from um, there are apparently, apparently, the Gemara in Megillah gives examples, gives fourteen different chachamim from the Gemara, and how they would introduce learning the Megillah. Mm. So Rabbi Yehonasan posach lepis chamehacha. That's this source Aleph over here. Rav Yehonasan would open his teaching of the Megillah from here. Meaning with this verse, he would begin teaching the Megillah. So you expect to hear a verse from the Megillah. That's not what you hear. Instead, you hear a verse from Yeshaya. So, yeah, I, I have to tell you, I did something which I don't normally do. I made a list of like all the questions so that we could check that we answered them, but I don't like that. I'm not comfortable with that format. That's like the traditional format, but I'm not good at it. I don't know how to teach that way. So I'm like, like oh yeah, okay. But I think, because more of the questions arise when you read this, you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Megillah Esther you hear twice every year, but you also have to hear every word. So my experience of Megillah Esther is, that when you find a great comment or commentary, you're like, oh, that answers so many questions I've always had, but I never had time to research. Because on Purim, it's really busy. And while you're reading the Megillah, you can't just like go start delving into commentaries because you'll miss the words, right? So you end up, stuff jumps out at you and waves at you. Megillah's Esther, more than any book, waves at you. You're reading along and it'll be going, yo, here, here, here. It's like all color-coded as if, like, you know, as if like, all these words are pink, and you're like, wait, why are all those words pink, and why are all those words blue, and how come it says ze, like, so many times, and you just keep noticing stuff, what, what is the deal with, like, the fighting, and, and all those chapters at the end, and you keep finding questions, and you really can't answer all of them, somehow you never get to it, I have to also tell you, personal experience, I can't say, I have no muckor for this, other than my own personal experience, that if you can find time to sit down and try and learn something from Megillus Esther on Purim. I found this out one time when I sat down, my kids were smaller, they went to sleep. I went to hear Megillah and I came home and the house was quiet. And I wasn't supposed to be cooking for the next day and I wasn't like, it was quiet. And we had a power outage, I remember. So I'm sitting by like candlelight and I thought I'll read some Megillah. Just see like maybe something. I could, it was like the whole Megillah was opening up in front of me. 
And what I learned from that was there's something about learning Megillah on Purim that has a special, like the Megillah will call out to you more on Purim even than any time you're preparing for it. But that shouldn't stop us from preparing. But just throw that out there because like I have found when I've been able to do that it to be an unbelievable experience of Megillah. Okay. So Rabbi Yehonah's son opened like this. He would, he would open with this verse. V'kamti alehem ne'um Hashem tzavakos v'hechresi l'bavol shem u'she'er v'nin v'nechad ne'um Hashem. V'kamti alehem, which you might think means I will rise up against them. It's more like I will take nekama. Nekama, v'lashem kam, which we may even get back to, but we'll see. V'kamti alehem, says Hashem, Lord of hosts, I will cut off for bavol hechresi, he's like, <clears throat> Excuse me, Lashon Kares, right? Like, Kares is the worst possible punishment. It's worse than death. Because Kares is a spiritual cutting off at the root. I will cut off Bavel, shame, name, she'er, remnant, nin, beauty or glory, v'neched, and descendants, says Hashem. It's a puzzle in Yishai. Okay, so Rashi explains on that Gemara, what does it mean that they would open with a certain opening? Like how, that they would begin teaching Megillah's Esther from a certain pasuk. What that means is, when this particular time, in this case it's Rabbi Yehonah's son, but there's 14 of these introductions. When the Rav would wish to begin darshaning on the topic of Igeris Purim, Megillah's Esther, he would start by darshaning this pasuk. In other words, there are 14 chachamim who are cited, each of whom takes a different angle on Megillus Esther. Megillus Esther is very locked. It's very, very mysterious. Everything isn't on the surface, which is the whole point of Megillus Esther that what you see on the surface is not what's really happening underneath. That's just like the shell of what's happening. The real depth of what's happening is all under the surface. That's the whole point of Megillah's Esther, right? God's name is hinted to, but never spoken out. That's, that's what it means. So they would, when it comes to Megillah's Esther, more than any other part of Torah, you can take a key or discover a key or receive a key and suddenly you unlock a whole new way of understanding the entire Megillah, okay? But the next year, you could get a different key, and you will suddenly see the Megillah in a whole new light in accordance with that key. And that is, Torah's always that way. Megillah's Esther is that way. Meaning there isn't a, a pshat way that's like the way you understand it. Because if you just look at the pshat way, you don't, what you see is a series of events. You have to have some kind of key that says, ah, so the whole point here is how Hashem is acting within nature. That really also the way that God behaves through nature, that's also Hashem's hashkachapat. There's something, right? That's what you, you tell even small children. Because otherwise, the, the message isn't spoken straight out. In Megillah, it's never spoken straight out, so you always need a key. And every year, and it's true, every year, if you try and learn something from Megillah or you hear a shear, you'll always hear some new, in a good Megillah shear, you'll hear a key. And it doesn't just explain one word of that. Even, even if it only explains one word, what it should be doing is, through doing that, 
giving you a whole new way of understanding like the full Megillah. Kind of, like layering. It's layers, yeah. And, and it's not that one contradicts the other, but it gives you like a whole new depth, a whole new angle. And then when you hear the Megillah that year, you, you see it in a whole new light. Okay. So Rabbi Yehona's son's light was <clears throat> that we're going to understand the whole Megillah based on a Pasuk in Yeshaya. And what's the Pasuk in Yeshaya? The God says he will take complete revenge against the Babylonians. <laughs> Bavel. He will totally wipe out Bavel. There will be no remnant of their name. <clears throat> the Gemara goes on. Shem Zaksav. The name that's mentioned in that Pasuk, Hashem will wipe out their name, that's their writing. Usher, remnant. Zehalashon, that's their language. Nin, their beauty. Zehamalchus, this is their royalty, their, their line, their um, kings. Benechad, their descendants. Zevashti. That's Vashti. See why I called it the Book of Vashti. Right? Because he's saying that's what this whole thing is about. The whole book of Megillus Esther is about the destruction of Bavel. This is where he started teaching Megillah. Meaning, if, this is where we're going to start. This is a starting point to understand the whole Megillah. Klomar, by the way, the Maharal brings explanations of all 14 of those psichos. Okay, it's a very long introduction. <laughs> Klomar, meaning to say, the purpose, uh, the purpose, the way we're going to understand Megillah is that you should learn from it, how Hashem interacts with the world. That, if you only had that statement, it would be worth it. Because mm-hmm. that's like, oh, so that's why the Megillah is couched in terms of just showing you what appeared to be individually natural events that you should understand that this is Darche Hashem Yisbarach. This is how Hashem works. Teva is the most constant presentation of God's will. Okay, that alone would be worth it, but that was just half a sentence. We should learn from this God's ways. Eich mishalem, how he repays l'rishaim l'havidam l'gamre. That God absolutely pays back evildoers and destroys their evil entirely. Everything. Not one hair of a Jewish head can be harmed without much greater repercussions to the one doing it. It might take time, but it never goes unremarked. Kamoshinase, as was done for Nebuchadnezzar, for Nebuchadnezzar, Shehu Melch Bavel, the king of Bavel, Shashem Yisbarach Gazar al Bavel v'amalchus Bavel Chilayon, that Hashem Yisbarach decreed upon Bavel and on the kingdom of Babylonia, the empire of Babylonia, destruction. Amasha Asu, Shecharivu Beis HaMikdash. What did they do? They destroyed the Beis HaMikdash. Uve Megillah Hazos, Nizkar HaChilayon Shenase Bohem. And this Megillah tells you how that destruction was finalized. Shehaya Hashem Yisbarach Me'abides Vashti, Shehibas Nebuchadnezzar, Hashem destroyed Vashti, the daughter, the granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. She's the daughter of Belshazzar. Okay, that is like, first of all, I gotta say, that is a really fresh way to think about the Megillah. I mean, I guess it's not fresh because it's been sitting there in the Gemara for thousands of years, so I just didn't know about it. <laughs> but, okay, Maharal has had it written also, copied over for 600 years. So you're saying, like, so there's no legacy, that's it. That's <clears throat> it's over, line. no legacy. <clears throat> the line ends. But, but just stop a second and say, gee whiz. That's why I said I wrote down the questions, but I was like, I appreciate the questions almost more from hearing the answer. 
Yeah, you know, now that you mention it, why is Vashti in the Megillah? The Belshazzar is the same as Nebuchadnezzar. Is the son. Oh, the Belshazzar son. is the son of Nebuchadnezzar, and Vashti is the daughter of he Belshazzar. Was one of the advisors right, to the king. Belshazzar was the king. He's the one that Daniel saw the writing on the wall. So, yeah, you could, you could say, like, why doesn't the Megillah start when he's just looking for a Yeah, he's looking baby. for a wife. He wants a good wife. You know, you yeah. think he didn't have other wives. Right, right, right. <laughs> Aside well, from the fact that, that in, in accumulating Esther, he accumulated, you know, I don't know, 365 wives or whatever it was. Like, he, he surely did not have an empty harem. That's pretty clear. That's amazing. Whatever we know about Achishverosh, right? <clears throat> so you didn't have to say that the favored wife was killed. You could have just started with. He has, it was time for a new wife. As, yeah, he's looking. looking for a wife. You, you could have. <clears throat> or that his, his young, the young boys, you know, who served him had this great idea of having a, you know, beauty pageant for fun. Right? You could imagine what type of culture this is. But. Not much different than that. <clears throat> not so much different, no. Okay. Just that alone also. It's like, oh, what is Vashti doing here? It's an interesting point. And you know, like the Mepharshim kind of like try and point you to Vashti. They're like, yeah, she was so mean. She had these Jewish servants. She would make them people hal shabish. Like, what, what, what's with Vashti? He wanted her to come and she wouldn't come. Like, who cares? Who cares about Vashti? And Rabbi Yehonasan says, what do you mean who cares about Vashti? She's the whole point. The whole point of the Megillah is that now, now we have another question, which I hope we got to, which is, okay, Vashti's the whole point, so what do I learn from the last eight program of the Megillah? <laughs> which is what I was always looking at. But okay, let's see if we can get to it. Umasha Amar Shame, Zehaksav. When the Gemara said that shame, that cutting off the name of Bavel meant their written language, their writing, Perish, it means, I don't know why it's not mahus bifnei atzmo. I saw it now in two or three different versions of the Maharal. Okay. Okay. Um, the writing, why is the writing go with cutting off their name? I mean, their name, their reputation, their name in the world, their, the name Bavel. Every nation has its identity and existence that makes it that nation and not some other one. So the word nation I have trouble with. I'm not sure what the right word is other than Uma, because it means it's something between a nation as a state and a race. Right? When we talk about 70 Umos Ha'olam, we're not like drawing a line and saying like Liechtenstein is one thing and like Austria is something different. Like it could be those are the same Uma. It could be not. Okay, there's something different. We have 70 umos, and each one has a sar, has a mala. Well, in that that's like a special is, force. the word aim, so it could be... Coming from a different mother? They all come from different fathers, Lamaisa, because that's the list you have in, right. in Noah, so I don't know what to tell you about that one. But there, yeah, like there's some kind of whole, and maybe like that environment that they're coming from in terms of an ima, you know, is like... And their essence is no, no. entirely to them. Like they have their yeah. distinct. But each one has their own. Right. right. Each one has their own. The Homahus Hutsiur Sichli Mashahu. I even wrote down when I figured out like the best definition for the moment on Sihur Sichli. Please hold, if that's like I don't want to get that one wrong. A spiritual conception. Like or a spiritual description. I like that. Yeah. Okay, is it Sir Sikhli? Every 
Every mahus, when I say something has an identity, it exists. The fact that there is an existence to it, that is an intellectual description. A spiritual, it is not a physicalized thing, the identity. There are, from the identity, you will see physical representations of it and physical outcomes of it in personality and language and culture and art and food and music. But those are all flowing out from and downstream of the core identity. And that core identity is not something physical. It's something spiritual. Um, I meant to bring... I didn't bring them. Okay, so I meant... We'll get to that. But it doesn't have to be that. That's the easiest way to begin understanding it, though. I wanted to bring the four-row table because really this all corresponds also to the four-row table. He doesn't say it explicitly. Shame, okay, that's the root word of neshama. Right, because the name of something describes its spiritual root. Okay, so now why then would that be the khtav, the writing? Al davar that's what the writing indicates. The written word is a atziur, a, a description, an illustration, a shape representing a thing or an idea. So wait, let me just take a second. What does it mean? So hieroglyphics is an easier way to start, or, or something like Japanese, even any kind of pictorial writing. Japanese is really Chinese writing, okay? Where you have a picture, and the picture represents a word. You know, this thing is a house, and if you have three lines like this, it's a river. You don't have to know the language to read the writing. That's a very interesting thing, which... The way we learn to read, especially as Americans with a more phonetic alphabet, is we learn the language first, and then we're taught to correlate, right? And any English teacher can tell you it's very difficult because it doesn't exactly correlate. We've got all kinds of junk, sort of vestigial stuff hanging around in English, so that the word through does not closely represent the sound that you make, okay? So starting with something like a hieroglyphic or a pictorial writing, it's easy to see. In China, there are so many dialects and they're not understandable one to the other, but they could communicate in writing because they use the same writing to represent words, but they say different words for those. It's the same way in Arabic also. There's, that really? There's um, literary Arabic, there's spoken Arabic, and then there's But they Arabic. use the same written word to represent different words? It's probably just a loftier, like well, high a, German or something. It's a dialect, but people, different people. Right, but in, what I'm saying about, let's say, Chinese, okay, is, oh, see, I don't know anything about Chinese, but let's say, for example, mm-hmm. um, in Japanese, you can have, it's just Chinese, okay, you can have a character, it looks like the, it looks like the word gum, okay? It, I, I don't really know how to write properly, okay? It means going and like outdoors, Okay, it's an exit sign. Mm-hmm. When I was in the Hong Kong airport, I saw the exact same signs. But in Hong Kong, they speak Chinese, and in Japan, they speak Japanese. Japanese took the Chinese alphabet. Mm-hmm. It's not an alphabet. It's a <laughs> writing system. And they use it. And they can, you can read. I, mean, I can go, I can learn how to read an exit sign in Japan, and I can find an exit sign in China and read it. The only thing is in my head, I hear exit. I don't hear however you say that in Japanese or Chinese because the writing represents the concept. We don't have to bring language into it at all. 
it's, it's funny for us to disentangle it, but that's what the Maharal's doing. He's saying, let's tease these apart. Okay. Now, and it's true, really, even in English. You can have the words and not know how they sound. A, blind, a deaf person who is absolutely deaf could read, can learn to read in English. They don't have to know what the word sounds like. They don't even have to be able to make the sound of the word. They just have to know that that, that written pattern represents such and such thought or idea or thing or concept. Okay, that is of the thing or the, or the word. You understand what he's saying? So this is a conceptual illustration, yeah. right? Purely of the mind. It, it's a representation of the concept, just like the tziur of an uma is the concept of who this nation will be without the physical representation yet of it. Okay. And the, the identity, the existence of that nation is some kind of representation or illustration of, uh, not, not illustration, like delineation, outline of what this thing will be. The Amar, Yeah, he cites over here a different place of the Mahara where he points out that the written word, you learn from it the, the, the intellectual conception of what is written without requiring any words coming out of the mouth. And their writing's going to be cut off. The reason their writing will be cut off is because the identity of Babylonian is going to disappear. You know, there's still people who live in that place. We don't call them Babylonians. They're Iraqis. Right? There's well, no Babylonians. The and they're not using Babylonian writing. And they're not Babylonians. There, there's no identity of Babylonia there now. It's been cut off. And the writing cuts off with it. Because those two things are corresponding. They're coming from the same place. That's called name. We've explained in many places before. The name is the indicator of the reality of the thing, the existence, the identity of the thing, as we know from this topic of the name. And the Pasuk tells us this thing is going to be destroyed from them. That will, will be gone. Okay, let's, I, just, I think I did a dot, dot, dot even. I, I left out. Okay, where are we up to on this one? I don't know. Where are we up to? Here. Okay. The remnant, this is their language. Just like every <coughs> nation has an intellectual, conceptualized identity, because that's the beginning of the creation of them, is God says there shall be, right, a Babylonian nation. They also have a certain form, a shape that they take. I mean, that identity then will now, that, that sets up a definition that there'll be this, whether this coloring and this culture and this 
way of thinking and this strengths or weaknesses, location, geography. There's a shape that it takes, that's the Yitzira aspect. That's what allows you to then see, tangibly see, ha ha ha. Okay, it's important, we get it. What makes this one distinct from another one? I think you got it. <laughs> it allows you to see. No, don't think you're seeing. Come on, who are you fooling <laughs> that you think you can see? We'll do our best. We learn. We learn our best, what we can. Every nation in its identity as a nation is differs from every other one. That's the tzura. The difference between the existence, the self, the identity, the reality of it, and the shape of it is the mahus is sichli bilvad. It's purely of the intellect or the spirit. The shape, that's not sichlis. That's not only intellectualized. That's where you see it come into, when you see the end result in physical fact, that's a result of the tzura forces that are shaping it. That's why Chazal explained that she'er, the remnant, that's referring, there won't be a remnant of Babel, that means their language will be cut off. Speech, language, is taking a thought and bringing it out to where it can be seen for what it is, revealing it. That's what happens when the nation takes its form. Now you can see the, the thought, so to speak, that God put into their creation, the form that it took, here it is, where you could see it. The creation of the nation, when it comes out into reality, that's called lashon. Also, the tongue itself comes out, and the tongue also extends from the inside of you. It could be seen. Yeah, or person-like, okay. Just like the fact that a person can speak identifies him as a human, the language in which he speaks identifies him to his nation. Okay, the, the way that he speaks. That's also going to be destroyed. But that's also interesting um, because it kind of explains different accents. Oh, explains a lot of things. <laughs> because this is, comes back once, as soon as you realize you're on a four-row table, which again, he didn't say explicitly, but it's clear. As soon as you say that, it's going to explain a lot more things. There's kind of no end to how much you will be able to explain because you're already talking about this is how the world is. Well, this my brain is also going also like off down. Yeah, you go off sideways into yeah. parallels and you go up and downstream no, into really, the... Yeah. 100%. I don't, it's, it is, you know, you have keys to Megillah, the four-row table is key to the universe. Yeah, you think of a lot of things, <laughs> yeah. obviously. And the more you learn, limited. the more, the next time you learn something, you're able to make out of it, because the more it's there. Okay. Nin, this glory or beauty, that's the kingdom. Now he's going to give a new shot to the word Nin, which is understood usually to mean like Yinon, like loveliness or beauty. He says, no, it's like a child. When Avimelech made a covenant with Yitzchak, and he says, to my descendants and my grandchildren. Okay, so here we also have Nin and, and Nechet. Nin is a, is a nephew, right? Not a nephew. No, Nin is a Nin descendant. 
Nowadays, it's used to mean like great-grandchildren. Oh, great-grandchildren. Okay. But they say nini ulenechti, the nini comes first. It seems right. that nini just means children, children. At, at its most fundamental. He's taking it that way. It's lashon ben. It's mm-hmm. like a child. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of a people is like a child born of the father, which is interesting because you would think that that would be born the father. The no, 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 it's the father. Because the born of the mother is, um, is, is a within Right, but over here, born of the father is of the energy of the father. It's a different. It says you should know the nation is not born of the king. The king is born of the nation. You shall place upon you a king from within your brethren. Right. You have to have the the king of the nation. By the way, if you have a king who's not of the nation, you call that a conqueror. You don't call that the king. Okay, because the king is the representative of the nation. Very hard to understand because we're not in a place that has a king. And a president isn't exactly the same way. Also, they come and go, right? I once saw a movie called The Queen with one of my kids when they were in the hospital and whatever. So there's only so many movies. We watched that and something about penguins. So this one about the queen totally opened my eyes to even nowadays where the queen has way less power to getting a concept of what that means, that, that what it means to have somebody who represents you as a country. It's right. difficult for us because we're Jewish. That's why Hashem changing, represents us. The it's not face of the monarch in, in England you see as more modern now. As the younger yeah, but you wonder why do they care so much? When we're here in America, you wonder why do British people care so yeah, much? Okay, that movie helped me understand a little why, we, why they care. And it's relevant because you need to... There was another thing which was a little video they were showing um, with, at uh, the Tower of London. When you go to see the Crown Jewels, they have, a, they have movie footage showing the coronation of the Queen, Queen Elizabeth. And I got chills. It was, it was a remarkable thing. And thinking about it and seeing pictures of it had not had that effect on me. I had not. Somehow it's, it's like sinking patriotic, differently. It's patriotic, you think? It's more like... It's more than patriotic. This person represents yeah. us. Right. She is... The, the way that Americans see the flag very often, that's how people see their ruler. Even though the ruler has a much more broad and deep... It's representation than the flag because it's not it's the visual representation the image but it's more than that because now they make decisions and they make statements another thing like that I can't believe I'm putting this on tape there's something called the king's speech okay, the king's speech different video okay we're not such video watchers but here's two already in one king's speech there is a place where there's a lot of bad language but it's easy to pre- if you know about it you can mute it out king's speech is about the father of the current queen who had terrible, terrible speech defect, terrible stutter. He almost couldn't talk. And it's about when he became king, which was not expected because he was the second son. When he became king, he had to speak. And you had the situation, they were going into war. Okay, you had, he was the king during, the war, during World War II, during World War I. You, he, had to, he had to speak for the peop- sake of his people. And he couldn't talk. And you, you start to understand what it means to him and to the people that he should be able to speak. Because why don't you just say, okay, fine, so we won't give speeches. Who cares? Let him not give speeches. Just stand there and wave. It matters. It does matter. But it's hard for us to understand. Number one, we're American. 
And number two, we're Jews. Our king. It's it's something different. I know the other problem besides that. I'm sorry to. Yeah, no, it's okay. Go off a little bit, but because we're standing in line at the the national acquire, you know, we see it such ridiculousness that they become. It's almost you know. That's true. We don't see it seriously. What Princess Kate is wearing right now, like it just becomes like ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but at the same time, it's. That because we don't we don't get we it. can't relate to no. that so much. Okay, the gam hadvarim ha'elu yesh lahavin meod. Should understand that deeply. So that's also an interesting comment. Masha amar v'neche the grandchild zevashti. Okay, that's maybe easier to understand because vashti is in fact the grandchild. She's the granddaughter. Perish loza bovad shiyem ha'abid behem hamachos. That means not enough. What's a nechet? A grandchild. A grandchild is not actually your child. And yet they are. Meaning they're indirectly your child. So in the same way that the king is born of the nation, there's something called the grandchild, which would be a connection to royalty, even if they themselves are not actually the royalty. Right? It's indirectly malchus. So if it's indirectly malchus, but it is born of the people, that's neched. And that's vashti. That's not only who Vashti was, that she's a grandchild, that's who Vashti was in her life. Right? So what's going to be destroyed here is, they will have no connection to Malchus at all. Malchus meaning that representation of the nation as an independent entity that functions and has autonomy and, right? Ki Vashti, Malka, yeah, Vashti was a queen, but she wasn't really an, a functional queen. She, she was the wife of the king. So we usually hear about the opposite, the fact that what was his claim to royalty, that he married Vashti to give himself some legitimacy. But the truth is, she was from the line of Bavel. Ahasuerus is the beginning of the line of Paras. It's a new empire that's taken over. It doesn't need to have legitimacy from Bavel. If he does, that's very nice. But don't believe that Vashti was making the decisions. She wasn't a queen the way now England has a queen. She was the wife of the king. Okay, so she's connected to the king. That's called Nechad. Okay, um, okay, I think I stopped over there. I might have brought one more sentence, right? That, so Vashti has okay, even though it doesn't have complete Malchus, the Nechad. But it has a shaykhus to the malchus. It has a connection, a relationship to the malchus. That's Vashti connected to Ahasuerus. That's also going to be cut off. So. And the end of her was only yeah. to help the Jewish people. Okay, so piece yeah. number one is that one way of understanding the entire Megillah is to understand that it's all about the downfall of Vashti, that with the downfall of Vashti, you have the complete erasure, the complete... The, the utter, total, fin- final destruction of Babel. Okay. And now I'm going to read from a footnote <laughs> later on. Harigasa Shalvashti, so this is Rabbi Hartman's footnote, but then he's going to cite from Maharal, that the killing of Vashti is the beginning of the redemption of Israel. That's what you said, Michelle. Shebekachis afsher sheester tavo bimkoma. Because she's gone, now Esther can come in her place. Now, why does that matter? 
that we're still back to the original question. No, it it matters because we needed her to be where she was in order to save the Jewish people. Why does it matter that Vashti came or left? Really, what she could have gotten the measles, or the you know I don't know she could have died on her own. So there's like okay I get it. There's like the wiping out of Vashti, but it's it's. It's that wiping out of Bavel that makes the place for Esther. You understand? It's not just, well, there was a job opening, so we got to fill it. Well, there were other women, lots of women. You could fill the post. Okay. Okay. Gosh, they would be, today there would have been like a whole show on it. <laughs> it, was, it was a reality show even in its day. It was even in its day. Okay. Um, okay, sorry, trying to juggle the strands of thought here. Okay, so we have that question. Why do you, you still don't understand why? Where is the connection now between the book of Ashti and the book of Esther? That's what we're missing. Okay, so one piece of that I think we can see over here. If we take a look at, I hope I brought it, the last source here, Dalit. Darash Rav Hamnuna. Rav Hamnuna taught this as a Gemara in Brachos. Haroe Bavel Harashah, Tzarech Levarech Chamesh Brachos. If you see Bavel, the evil kingdom, the evil empire of Bavel, you've got to make five blessings. And it's if you see the place and if you see the house of Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. Okay, now I'm going to the last one. Ra'amakom Shenotlami Menu Afar. If you see that place that they take the dirt from, apparently, there was a pl- there's a, a major place where they take dirt to turn to make bricks because there is nothing else in that region of Babel that's exportable that's usable. No agriculture over there, nothing. You see this destroyed area, Omer Baruch Omer Veose Gozer Umakayim. This is the source of it in Baruch Shamar. You say Baruch Atah Hashem Elokinu Melech Haolam Omer Veose Gozer Umakayim. It's a bracha. We haven't had this opportunity. Rev Schwab says, when you look at the pictures of what the American troops saw in the Gulf War when they invaded Iraq, where is the glorious Babylonian Empire? Where is the fertile, rich capital of this empire that was ruling half the world? It's a desert. It's a wasteland. Really, when you see that, if you were a soldier and you're stationed there, there's a bracha, baruch omer God says and does, he decrees and fulfills it. And gozer mekayim is like gezerah, it's harsh. He's gozer mekayim. Okay. Yeah, this is somehow a theme with Bavel, <laughs> that you got to know that. Okay. So to answer this, let's look at the Maharal's comment on the statement later in the Megillah. I, I didn't have a chance to bring all the comments, I apologize. Oh, let me just show you one other thing. This is me noticing it, but I think it's true. I lost where we are. It's okay. We're going to look at passage number base here. Okay. okay. This I noticed myself, but I think it's for sure the truth based on this Mahara. Memuchan spoke before the king and the other princes. Also, one of these passages where you're like, what the heck? This is how they made decisions. Not only against the king alone has Vashti sinned, has she uh, violated? We have an empire here. 
Bavel put a lot of work into unifying its empire. We know that because one of the things they did was they said, we're going to put up a statue of Nebuchadnezzar and we're going to bring people from all of the nations that we've conquered and they're going to bow down to that statue. They could worship their own gods. We have no problem. As long as you also acknowledge that Nebuchadnezzar is the king of it all. They want to unite the nation. Babylonia had an amazing system for not getting brought down the way the Romans did. The Romans extended themselves farther and farther and farther, and they kept pushing their boundaries out, and all of a sudden they discovered they couldn't prevent rebellions from deeper in the middle of the kingdom, somewhere partway between Rome and the, you know, England or wherever, or Israel. You have trouble because people start to rebel. Babylonia, they would conquer a place. They didn't just invade it, and they didn't even just stay over it. What they would do instead is they would take all the people, march them away and change to some other place they had conquered, and they swapped people around. Now the people are busy trying to figure out how to organize themselves and live in this new place that they don't know. They're too busy to rebel, and by the time you get to their children, they're used to it. And then you don't have to station whole garrisons to keep track of everything. They did it to the Jews. They brought us to Bavel. Okay? Then they did it to the Crete, to the Samaritans. They came to Samaria from Crete. Okay, we're going to have to finish up. We started late, and I want to not... Okay. So it's not only against us, it's all the people in all these nations. So Ahasuerus has taken over the kingdom that was Bavel, now it's Parasumodai. When everyone hears about Vashti, all the women are now going to disparage their husbands. They're all going to say, Ahasuerus said, bring Queen Vashti, and she refused. All the princesses are going to talk back to the princes. If it's good in the eyes of the king, let a, a royal decree go out before him. Let it be written. In the, the articles, <laughs> the constitution of Paras and Madai, that it not be possible to override. Vashti shall no longer come before Achashverosh. That's the cutting off of the Nechid. Yeah. Her kingdom, her crown of being the queen, should be given over to a better colleague. That's the removal of Nin, of the Malchus. And let it all be heard, this decree, throughout the kingdom, which is so great. The women should give respect to their husbands, whether they are great or small, which is an astonishing concept, even if you have a really small husband. Give him respect. They thought it was good. Right? Isn't that it? In writing. In the right in in its writing. You know, my father's a professor of Japanese history. When the Japanese invaded China, they made the Chinese learn Japanese. Okay? My mother, we have very dear friends who are Chinese. The grandmother doesn't speak English. So she and my mother always communicated in this very broken Japanese. Because the grandmother grew up under the Japanese occupation of China. Okay? The Koreans. Anyone who was occupied by the Japanese in Korea, they had to learn Japanese. They had to write Japanese. What is this? We have a consolidated empire, and you're sending a command out to every nation in its writing? In its khtav? Let them read yours. <laughs> what? You sound like such an American. Medina. <laughs> <laughs> in its writing and to each nation in its language and you know I sit there and I'm like you know that really was kind of bugging me subliminally 
Why the writing and the language? Yeah. Well, why are you doing it at all? Why are you doing it at all? I don't know. And for sure, why the writing and the language? That's a lot of words. Leos kol ish, sorer, beveso, umedaber, kilishon, amo. Every person should speak their own language. Complete dismantling of the Babylonian Empire right there. Right. It's everything in this one passage. Right. That whole verse from Isaiah, right? Yeah. The whole thing in one passage. I was astonished when I realized it. I don't think... I mean, I'm saying it. This is, to me, that is what the Maharal is saying, and that's that Kamara. It's not that I, right? I, he didn't say this, so I'm, like, excited. Well, it's but, almost like Migdal Babel, if you think about it. Where that's interesting. Where had their own language. That's so interesting. That that is a, a thing about the beginning of Babel. I like that. You know, it's like the beginning. I like that. like that, and the end is like that. No, but the whole thing was that they had a unified language, Lashonachas. Mm-hmm. The whole power of Babel was the unified language, and then they had to be taken down through a breakdown of it and it sounds like that was an, a sort of a what do you call that like the primal case of it and then it came up again thousands of years later and okay we got to finish up here so what are we going to do um i think maybe we'll stop here even though i really want to get to part two which is how do we see this in esther but it's nine ten. i feel bad okay so this also stands on its own as a piece i just was hoping to do a part two we'll see but when you think about a nation's identity the first thing that you think about in terms of their culture is perver- preserving their language. And you know a lot of people, I mean, like for example, the when the Persians came here in the 80s, yeah. the first thing that happened is they put their kids in school because they need to educate them. So what you always see in the first generation is there's a gap because what happens is the younger generation... Happy Purim. Oh, I'm, this is the last year till after Pesach. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I think we'll all be busy. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I have to get into the Purim mode. Okay. So the interesting thing I was thinking back, because I I, I don't know why I've always been interested in immigration and migration and all this stuff. That's so interesting. From Rabbi Wine's lectures. Um, But the interesting thing to me is, so then you have a generation who learns the language and a generation, the older generation who doesn't. The biggest challenge in acculturation is the preservation of that culture. Because what happens if you want to each significant a lot of places don't want to. Even Jews who came to America very often were more focused on their kids fitting in. Right. And the and losing the ability to speak the language so the older generation will speak the, the language to the, the next generation. But if the next generation lives in a place where that's not the primary language, they never speak not the same way back in that language. Right. They'll understand it, but they'll respond in the language right. that is the vernacular My kids of spoke the English at home, but we never could explain exactly why, because their friends mostly did. Right. Exactly. Even my youngest kids spoke English at home, living in Israel all those right. years. Right. But it was an exception, not the rule. Exactly. And we didn't have a rule about it. I Meaning, there's some families that right. try and make a rule about speaking English at home. We didn't. Right. They just did. Right. Uh, but also maybe. But yeah, both the norm is not that. Yeah, but a lot of families like that. Really. And the, the kids, kids, the oldest ones, sometimes do. Still, probably spoke Hebrew to no, each other. No, not in our house. It's very strange. We never could explain it. It just was. Really? They spoke English to each other. That is strange. Yeah. Even to their English-speaking friends, they often spoke English. It's wow. very interesting. Okay. Happy Purim. Yeah.